listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. This is Straight Out of Vegas. With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it. I'm RJ live on a Thursday, live in Las Vegas, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. Steve Fezzik joins, putting an extra duty on a Thursday. He's been tearing it up lately. So if you're one of those do theory guys, this could be a bad show. (laughs) Or maybe the streak just keeps on going. Sports betters listen for the money. Sports fans to know more than their bodies. We're the pros. We're in Vegas. He's the Joe in Los Angeles. Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we've got an AFC South battle to kick off Week 10 later on. And the race for the green jacket underway. What is the Vegas lead here on this Thursday? Two reasons it's going to be the Masters. One, we love live radio because it's live. We can tell you up-to-the-minute stuff where the podcast just can't do it. And number two, we've got a surprise DeChambeau embedded insider Fast, and we're going to get his feedback direct. So I think it's got to be Masters update. Yeah, seven months late, but we'll take it. The Masters is underway in Augusta, Georgia. The race for the green jacket. Right now, Paul Casey is your leader at seven under par. Tiger Woods had a great day, three shots back at four under. But unfortunately, Fez's guy, Bryson DeChambeau, tied for 21st, two under par in the first round. You know, you say Fez's guy. This is a professional, as, a, as an insider in bed, it, it's a professional thing. Let's go over the odds. We've got the who's um, on the leaderboard, but Vegas says, well, we're going to take the leaderboard and blend it with the assumptions going in. So let's say you've got a favorite that's leading after the first round. That favorite's going to be more of a favor. And you know what? If you have a long shot, that's leading after the first round, they'll still improve their odds greatly, but not as much as you might think. So let's use Paul Casey as an example. He came in at 55 to 1. He's now 18 to 1. 18 to 1 is mighty good. But now you look at the leader when it comes to odds, the favorite, Justin Thomas, he's 4 to 1. So wait a minute. Paul Casey's minus 7. That's his score. Thomas is minus five. Casey's 18 to one, but Thomas is four to one. It goes to show you this is how the professionals do it with, let's say, football. They call it priors. So, what's a prior? It means before this season, what was our assumptions about the season? Now, different people do that different ways, Feds. For example, in the NFL, if you're a X's and O's handicapper, if you're a player level handicapper, oh, look, they added this guard. He's really good. Those guys come up with their own kind of rankings. They'll say, I'm looking at this team like I would be grading a fantasy team or something, but I know how good these players are, and together they're going to be this good. Or what you can do 
is just take the Vegas win totals and say Vegas is pretty smart. I'm going to rank them 1 to 32. And then if that team, any of those teams, is so much different the first four or five games, yeah, we're going to take those four or five games seriously. But the prior assumptions also are pertinent. So at what point do you get rid of your prior? Some people say literally at the end of the year you should still be looking at them. Others, week five maybe, they're done with them. In the NFL, when do you get rid of your assumptions coming in? Right about Thanksgiving. So about 12 weeks, I'll, I'll keep the So priors. you eat that turkey and say, that's it? <laughs> yeah. It's, it, we're starting you, are, start. you are what we've seen this year after Thanksgiving. I think, that's, I, I think the instincts are that's about right. I don't think it is. I think you hold those priors longer because it's only 16 games. And we've had this argument so much. What about 16 games during the baseball season, a typical 162 games? Now, we can debate, well, baseball's got more luck to it, but still, there's been a lot of weird 16-game streaks. A lot of them. Look at the, I mean, really, if you look at the Falcons, that's such a great example. The Falcons very easily could be 4-0 with their new interim coach. And they had zero wins before that. So you are literally winless, and then at a certain point, you're undefeated, or should be. Back-to-back years for the Falcons, same sort of thing. Yeah, they finished 6-2 and two, yeah. uh, last eight last year. Okay, so we'll just go down the list now of the favorites, but I think you have an idea. This is going to be a combination of both how they did today and also the prior assumptions. So the favorite right now, Justin Thomas, 4-1. to one. Dustin Johnson, 7-1. to one. You know, Jonas, I'm going to let you, this Xander fellow, I'm going to let you do his name. Xander Shoffley? Yeah, Shoffley. That's yeah. it. Shoffley. <laughs> I, was, I was just testing you. He's third at 10 to 1. And then you literally have, oh, wow, that's interesting. It's out of order here. Is uh, John Rom is 12 to 1. And then you've got Bryson DeChambeau at 14 to 1. And then Tiger at 18 to 1. So, Fez, we have our embed report. You are, you call him by his first name, right? Yeah, Bryson. Bryson, how's it? How'd it go today? I'm not going to lie. There was a setback early for six one two forty. Bryson, uh, <laughs> you're giving it. You're quoting his stats. <laughs> he comes up. He started. He teed off in the back nine. He's even further his round thirteenth. The par five that he was going to turn into his own personal pitch and putt. Okay, so the now uh, DeChambeau, as I call him, out of respect, he. Is a long. He's long off the tee. Right. So he's not going to bother with the 13th fairway. He's going to boom it past the 13th fairway into the 14th fairway to have a better angle into the green. A real short shot. Now, are you a fan of that style of play? Love it. What, what do you What do you love about it? <laughs> I, it's just so different. You know, he thinks out of the box and just. Um, recrafted his entire game this year to be able to out- overpower different courses. Now we got into this a little bit yesterday. I'm RJ Bell, straight out of Vegas. If if Bryson DeChambeau was this powerful all along, I don't feel like you'd be such a big fan. It feels like because somehow he went from not powerful to powerful. There's something about your history. Your background that, that that draws you to that exactly because he was a scientist. All his club um, shafts are the same length. He does things differently, but he was never bulked up at all. And then he decided, hey, as a scientist, let me go ahead and get muscle bound and hit it further. Drink your milkshake. <laughs> I drink it up. All right, so a lot of personal <laughs> stuff going on there, fast. But how are you feeling for the rest of the tournament? 
I think volatile because and that thirteenth hole really summed it up. So, so Bryson he hit a tree before he got to the fourteenth fairway. Then he hit it into the azaleas. Then he couldn't find it for a while. Then he found you know it. The type of flower that he hit it into. Yes, deep azaleas. Finally, <laughs> he came out with a seven on the hole that he said was like a par four for him. Put him behind the eight ball, lost two strokes, and then he he rallied four under the rest of the round. So he's in contention. The fact he could overcome such a disastrous start to the round is a good sign, but it's not a good sign that he was all over the place. If you want to join the DeChambeau fan club, it's at Fezzik Sports on Twitter, F-E-Z-Z-I-K. Jonas, what did you think of the first round? Uh, no, I was happy to see Tiger come back. Look, there was a, probably a thought that, well, you know, he won last year. It had been so long since he'd won a major, so maybe Tiger would take a step back and, you know, kind of fall back down to earth. But he played really well in round one, and, and we know how this goes. For a lot of people that aren't really into golf, they just look to see where Tiger is on the standing. So as long as he's in contention, it's going to keep people interested. And I think it's a, it's a weekend with football and everything else going on. They need as many big names as possible to stay in contention. There, because I think it's it's unique that it's in November, but you can't deny the fact that it's going head to head with all these games. So, my understanding is they have less games in the one o'clock window this week on Sunday. Yeah. The theory being less competition than for the Masters. So, yeah. you know, to, I think this is the most later games we've had or or should have this this entire year. You're saying five at the one o'clock window? Yes. Okay, so that's interesting. So. To me, last thing I'll say on it is with Tiger, on one hand, I want to fade him because he's a very public handicapper. and or, or I'm sorry, he's a very public golfer The batters like to bat, and that's when you handicap him. It's like, uh-oh, I'm going to be over there with Barney at the bar, Freddie Fanny Pack. Those guys like Tiger. I, it's hard for me to like Tiger. But the most difficult time for a professional handicapper or batter is when the right answer is where the public is for different reasons. And to me, I think Tiger is somewhat the right answer. You know why? The Masters is the biggest bet event, but it's also the highest pressure event. People, if they could have one, especially Americans, they could have one title as a golfer, it'd be the Masters for most people. It's not the PGA. It's going to be the Masters. So the pressure is at max, the lights are as bright as they get in golf. And who does well under the bright lights? A winner, a long-term winner, a guy who even excels Tiger when the pressure is on. So on one hand, I want to look to Tiger. On the other hand, he's expensive because Barney at the bar is on Tiger for different reasons. Closing thoughts, Fess? Well, remember, this course sets up the best for Tiger in terms of majors. He's the defending champion. People forget that. I mean, he plays very well at Augusta. No doubt. I don't think people forget Tiger's the defending champion. They might forget because it's been a long time ago, other than, like we said recently, and that's what makes this challenging. There was a long time you could just dismiss Tiger. Hmm. He was would enter every tournament as one of the six or seven best or favorites. And he wouldn't, he'd be out, you know, withdraw bad back. Right. Right. In the last two years, he's been playing well, or at least let's say starting two years ago for a, quite a while, he was playing mighty well. There was at one point over like three majors, he hadn't won any of them, but over three majors, he had the best score. Meaning if you took the score from one and the second and the third, he had the best score Tiger Woods did. 
And then he ended up winning finally again. But then, I don't know if it was like he met his goal or whatever, but physically, it feels like he dropped way off at that yes, point. Yes, he did. And the question is, can he come back? Almost like DeChambeau. Maybe he should get on his milkshakes. <laughs> when, we, when we come back, Lamar Jackson, he said something on Rich Eisen. It was like, huh, that's curious. A lot of people are saying, no, poo-poo, it's no big deal. I think Lamar is telling us it's a big deal, and we've got numbers to back up. Baltimore might be in trouble. That's coming up next, but first straight out of Vegas is brought to you by AutoZone. AutoZone has more ways for you to get what you need when you need it with their free same-day store pickup. You can place your order online and grab what you need today at more than 5,600 AutoZone locations. Get in the zone. AutoZone, he's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I'm RJ Bell. We're straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. Coming up here in just a couple of moments, some curious comments made by one quarterback in the NFL. And bottom of the hour, crossfire. Fez and I going heads up. He's the underdog. Great day to join us. This is the fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Audience has doubled in the last year plus. Thank you so much for the support. We promise to keep working hard and make this the best football season yet. You can listen to us on 225 Fox Sports Radio stations, coast to coast. Go to foxsportsradio.com and you can find out where your station is if you don't know. Right here in Las Vegas on the Strip, 65 degrees, and the neon is percolating. So, RJ, the reigning MVP in the NFL is Lamar Jackson, and the Baltimore Ravens are 6-2, and two, having another strong start to their season. But it was recently, as, as recent as yesterday, that Lamar Jackson, in appearing on the Rich Eisen Show, said that defenses this year know the plays that are coming and are yelling out run and pass as they come to the line of scrimmage there in Baltimore. Now, a lot of people might say, if you look at the Ravens, they've lost to the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers, they've lost to the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, and they've won every other game. And it's not like there's been all these real close games. That Philly game was close, but in the scheme of things, that was a big surge at the end by Philly. Give them credit, but still, Baltimore was in control of that game and most games, other than the two games they've lost. If you're 6-2, and two, that means you're going to be 12-4 and four if it continues that's a pretty good season. In fact, Fez, no team, no team hardly ever is expected to be better than 12-4, and four, right? So an over-under win total of like 12.5 is almost unheard of. Yeah, Kansas City and Baltimore were both lined at 11.5 wins, the two co-favorites. So if they finish the year, if Baltimore Ravens finish the year the way they've started the first half, they will exceed their win total expectations. They will exceed yes. what Vegas expected of them. Okay. And if anything, you would make the case, you're going to play the Steelers again. Okay, so that's the same first half, second half, you play the Steelers once. But you're not going to play Kansas City again. Mm -hmm. So in theory, you're better off in the second half because that one of the two teams that beat you, you don't have to play again. But the numbers tell a different story. Number one, let's talk Super Bowl odds. The Ravens, the whole year, were number two behind Kansas City. At different points, almost number one. And Fez, you've said at various points, I'm going to try to imitate you here. It might not be exactly right, but you said the following. The distance between the first two teams, Kansas City and Baltimore, are the most I can remember. 
Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Is that was that a good imitation? Yes. Okay. Then. <laughs> I mean, again, I, you hear yourself differently, you know, because you don't your, your ear bones and all. You've heard of that, right? And then when people hear the voice on a recorder, it's like, what? Who is the, that? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. See, that is what I hear when I listen to you. <laughs> but. <laughs> But that isn't really the case anymore, or do you still think it's the case? It is not the case anymore. But the Ravens are winning, mostly. So, what is it that troubles you about the Ravens? And then we'll talk about what Lamar maybe is seeing. So, Lamar Jackson, obviously, just had a tremendous year last year, and he's struggling with a lot of his passes, making Baltimore a one-dimensional well, what team. What do you mean, a lot of his passes? What's his stats? What I mean, like, where is he struggling? What's his QBR? I mean, you you worship at the altar of QBR, don't you? I do, and his QBR is number 17 after being number one last year. Okay, so generally his efficiency is down. Yes. Okay, and you're saying, though they're winning, it's problematic. Yes. I agree with that. Let's look at uh, success rate, which is a concept in football that every play based on the yardage and down has a criteria of success. And generally, teams, it's 50%. Each of them, if you're above 50, you're doing a little bit better than average. Below 50, you're doing worse than average. If you look at it passing the ball, Baltimore's down about five percentage points on their success rate. So down a little bit. Here's what no one's talking about. The defenses that Baltimore's played against the pass, so Lamar passing against those defenses, those defenses, second most difficult schedule of opposing defenses against the pass in the NFL. The Giants, the most difficult. Second most, Baltimore. So maybe Mr. Daniel Jones isn't as bad as he seems, but Lamar's been going against, he's been going against Tough pass defenses. Probably explains a lot of it. Now, what is also a problem, though, that's not explainable, at least by the difficulty of the defense, is the rush efficiency of Baltimore has dropped about the same amount. So, pass down somewhat, rushing down somewhat. And there's no reason because the defenses against the rush are below average the Ravens have played. But even more concerning... Lamar Jackson's efficiency went from through the roof, outstanding, to 11 points below average. So the average success rate for a quarterback run is 60%. Because it's not expected. Mm-hmm. When they do it, they you know usually do it well. Lamar's success rate is 49%. 11 percentage points below an average running quarterback. To me, this harkens back to the Wildcat. What is Lamar's offense except perhaps a glorified Wildcat? You've got a Wildcat back that can throw, throw much better, let's admit, than the typical Wildcat back. I've always been a fan since Lamar started of John Harbaugh thinking he'll keep iterating, he'll keep iterating, making changes, adjustments. They'll try to, defense will try to do this, and then Harbaugh will do that. Well, just like in an NBA seven-game series, adjustment, reaction to it. Adjustment, rea- at some point, there's no moves left. At some point, mm-hmm. like a game of tennis, they're just going to shrug. I got nothing more to do here. It feels like the defenses have been iterating on making adjustments on Lamar's running. And at this point, the Ravens don't have another move, it seems like. that The game has ended. Now, it could change in the future. 
And Fez, you believe we saw maybe a little bit of that against the Colts. Yeah, so what happened against the Colts is Baltimore was completely um, unable to run the ball in the first half or move the ball. The offense scored zero points, defensive touchdown, their only score. And then Baltimore basically said, you know what, this isn't working. Running the ball first down, which we do as much almost as anyone in the NFL. We're number two in the NFL running the ball on first down. The number of runs. Number of runs, right. They went ahead and abandoned it, and they threw the ball aggressively throughout the third quarter. Four of the first five plays on the first drive, three of the first four second drive. They threw the ball, and they made that adjustment, and they were successful. 10 out of 10, I think he was, Lamar, in the second half. But here's the thing, Jonas, and I'm going to ask you generally what you're seeing with the Ravens, but what I find interesting is if you surprise at halftime with a whole different style of play, it might work in that game, but where do you go from there? Now, in theory, the next opponent has to prepare for both. But if Lamar can throw when the other team's ready for him, then he truly is a great NFL quarterback. If he can only throw when the other team has to sell out for the run, then when the run stops working, where are you at? What do you think? Yeah, and and I also wonder if they were banking on the offseason, being able to add some new things, some new wrinkles. Obviously, they had reached whatever their peak was a year ago. They were the best team in the league. And because they didn't really have the offseason, if they came into this season and didn't have a lot to go to as far as a counterpunch to to another team's being able to stop them on the run or being able to see, because you know how the NFL is. If you see it on offense enough, you're going to be able to come up with, with some sort of a design to stop it. And they didn't have that offseason to, to implement that. And so I've wondered if maybe this is just going to slightly improve as the season goes on. Because you talk about the Steelers game. The Steelers were one of the best rushing defenses in the NFL. And Baltimore ran for 200-plus on them. You talked about the game against Indianapolis last week. That was a massive game. A team that's been talked about as, well, they can beat the you know, also-rans in the NFL. But they're not winning a lot of these quality games like the playoff games. And they went in there and they won that game. So I'm starting to wonder if maybe they're finding something, maybe they're starting to figure something out, maybe they're going to start winning some of these big games down the stretch. See, that's interesting because when I think about it, I think about the defenses reacting more than ball. I mean, really, Baltimore, the whole new wrinkles would only come from what the other team does. If you're the best running team and maybe the best offense in football, if not one of the top couple, you don't need any changes. Right? You keep doing, as Faz would say, mots, more of the same. But... Once you start getting stopped, now the wrinkles, now the adjustments come into play. They weren't really stopped last year. So it strikes me that Harbaugh could have speculated what are people going to start doing. But how do you put in wrinkles until you know what the reaction is going to be, right? One of the uh, I was talking to Bucky Brooks about this on Fox Sports Radio. He's a former NFL scout. And he was saying that zone defense has been a killer against Baltimore. That teams that play zone have really had success because it forces Lamar to have to throw the ball outside the hashes, and he's not good and he's not accurate at it. So there is a blueprint on how to beat him. It wasn't just a couple of anomalies in the postseason by the Chargers and by the Tennessee Titans. There's clearly a, you can beat them like this, and I wonder if these comments are Lamar's frustration with himself as much as anything, not being able to figure out how to beat his own defense. Well, and here's the thing. If he can do that eventually, he'll be what? The first person ever to go from being a below average thrower to an above average thrower? I mean, we are marveling right now at 
Buffalo and uh, the idea that the accuracy, that how much the, the the Bills are passing the ball. It's like, wow, Fez. I mean, you had your quote that you used again and again about the accuracy with the Bills throwing the ball and, and, and how that was what made you feel so sure that this wasn't going to be um, a big uptick year for the Bills. Yeah, because Josh Allen, in terms of accuracy versus expected, was in the bottom five for his first two years. First two years, and all of a sudden he's an above average in that stat this year. I don't have the exact number in front and, of me. And it's something that if that happens, if that maintains, Allen will have done something that just doesn't happen hardly at all. But the question is, the distance Allen had to go to become average was less than even Lamar has to go now. And you just don't see quarterbacks transverse that distance. No, and it's a good point. And there's a ceiling on what you can do as a running quarterback. We've never seen a running quarterback win a Super Bowl. I mean, I, I don't know of, of many running Or even be quarter- good for even five years. Yeah, I, I think maybe the guy who got the furthest was what? Colin Kaepernick in the 49ers, and that was in 2013. But still, it felt that was a much different offense. That wasn't this college style, Naval Academy ish type offense that they were running. He was throwing the ball downfield, and he had a hell of an arm to do it. So we've never seen this work ever at an elite high level. So yeah, they are trying to do something that's never been done before. And I would make the case that for flashes, running quarterbacks have been exceptional. Yeah. Uh, RG three his rookie year had better stats than Andrew Luck. It's just an he won the offensive rookie of the year. And Kaepernick, whatever the politics, whatever the divisiveness people feel about it, he had a year or two where he was one of the top quarterbacks in the league statistically. Just no doubt. You could look and say, well, his completion percentage, and maybe statistically is not the right way, performance-wise. What the 49ers were getting out of it, making it the Super Bowl, was substantial. Everyone was like, how'd this guy go in the second round? And then we saw how he went in the second round. Now, the que- now we can debate, oh, if he only had his chances. Okay, look at his stats his last year. It could have been an aberration, but we know what NFL teams do when they think someone can help them win. They ignore everything else. They haven't done that with Kaepernick. They don't think he can help them win. That's all there is to it. They might be wrong. All the NFL people might be wrong, but that's what they think. I'm RJ Bo straight out of Vegas. So finally, the ultimate question for Lamar is, in history, there's never been a situation where a non, at least Good th- I'm not even sure if a non-elite thrower has ever been a good quarterback for an extended period. They can be that for a while. I would make the case Lamar has the most natural talent of any of the running quarterbacks we've seen. Is it possible he becomes a good thrower? Yes, but it would buck a lot of history. Remember, Lamar went as the 32nd pick for a reason. There was skepticism. Lamar almost was benched in the first playoff game his rookie mm-hmm. year. Lamar didn't even start until mid-year. There was a, now you could say, well, they had to get the offense ready. They had to wait for the bye. Okay, fine. But the Ravens themselves could have picked Lamar like eight picks earlier, and they traded back. All right, there was talk of the Patriots taking him, who were picking after the Ravens initially. So the Ravens said, hey, if you want him, you got him. But then at 32, okay, we'll take a shot on him. And last year's MVP, amazing. Let's give the guy a ton of credit. But now the defensive adjusted, and at least statistically, the Ravens are not near as good on offense. Your move, John Harbaugh, we'll see. Jonas, let's take a quick look at the, hmm, 
Let's go into the Houston Rockets. I think this drama is interesting. Yeah, James Harden has said that he plans on staying with the Houston Rockets, that he's all in. But there are a number of reports that say Russell Westbrook wants out. They're trying to find suitors. One potential landing spot is the Charlotte Hornets. They have been talked about as the team that could potentially land Russell Westbrook. But nonetheless, Westbrook uh, appears to be on his way out in Houston. And to me, now this is what I think Perkins said on the NBA show on ESPN that uh, that Harden isn't returning the Rockets' calls either. So, mm. uh, though, again, maybe publicly saying one thing, I am interested to see if Harden's behind Westbrook here. Maybe they won't end up in the same place, but the whole theory was Harden and Westbrook were together in OKC. They liked each other. Has this one year soured them, or are they kind of together on this, even if they don't go together? I mean, Jonas, from all what you've read, where do you think things uh, fall in that regard? Personally, I always uh, I was told, or this was the conversation going into last year. Chris Paul and James Harden didn't really get along. They respected each other, but they didn't really like each other all that much. Russell Westbrook and Harden have a different relationship. It took one year, and here we are again. And so I just wonder... If this is a little bit more on Harden than we realize, we thought Chris Paul was the issue the last time. Now you bring in Russell Westbrook. He clearly wants out. Um, the, the Clippers have been a potential landing spot out there. And then you've got James Harden either not returning calls or saying, I just wonder if Harden is at the point to where he's one of those all-time great scoring players that just isn't the best teammate in the world and not the best guy to try and pair a superstar up with, ego-wise. To- to me, this is one to watch, but I got one kind of overarching concept on it. Then we'll go to what's trending, and it's this. There's only two times, really, that you have to grow up by 30 or you're screwed. One is beautiful women. And maybe 30 is not the exact age, but there's a certain case when a woman is that beautiful, yeah, she can have a lot of faults. Maybe everyone won't love it, but enough will. But then at a certain point, you know, father time's undefeated, and that's in every way. And now what? And if you don't have a great person, or at least somewhat of a good personality, it's a struggle. And you know what? Athletes are the same way. You look at a guy like Des Bryant, you look, it could go up and down the list of quote unquote locker room trouble, whatever. Most of them got that reputation when they're 25 years old and they've been given everything. Their whole lives, where they walk, any room they walked into, oh, look, that's that guy that's going to go NBA or whatever. They've had it, not saying they came from tough uh, socioeconomic backgrounds that they had it easier or whatever, but in general, they had it easier than their cohorts, the people next to them, because they were the next NBA guy, NFL guy. How do you grow up in that environment, especially if you don't have, in some cases, they don't, great parents? So now you're given everything, you're supposed to indulge yourself. And then you're supposed to grow up, but you don't start having a reason to grow up until no one cares anymore. Because once you start as a player dropping off, Des Bryant, you don't think if he was, uh, would be, he was like 32 now. He's been out of the league for multiple years. Why? Because as soon as his talent wasn't so great, it could overcome his attitude. Bye bye. Yep. Good luck. And I don't feel bad, but I kind of do. They made the money, but it is lamentable that 
at such a young age, if you haven't grown up, you have to suffer like they do. Straight Out of Vegas is brought to you by AutoZone. AutoZone has more ways for you to get what you need when you need it with their free same-day store pickup. You can place your order online and grab what you need today at more than 5,600 AutoZone locations. Get in the zone. AutoZone. I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. He's the voice of Vegas, RJ Bell. All right, we'll take our last break. When we come back, we got that Colts preview and also Fez and I heads up disagreement in the NFL crossfire. That's coming up next. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. And R.J., week 10 in the NFL kicks off later on tonight. The top two teams in the AFC South a little over an hour from now, 8.20 Eastern time on Fox. It's the Colts at the Titans. Right now, Indianapolis, a one-point favorite. Favorites have flipped on this game. So opened up with Tennessee, favored by one and a half. Home field advantage is about one and a half. So the market was saying at open, the odds makers, the bookmakers who open up the line say these are even teams. I think if you took a poll at the bar, Barney, Freddie Fanny Pack, and asked those guys, a lot of them was going to say Tennessee's better. Tennessee, Tennessee, geez, Indy got beat by Jacksonville. The market is saying, every spread tells a story, the market is saying, no, 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 the better team here are the Colts. Tennessee has a mighty good offense, but they got a bad defense. Fez, literally, until they went in, and this might speak so much to Chicago, the Colts, or check that, Tennessee had, the Titans, the worst third-down conversion rate. So their defense gave up more third-down conversions than any team in NFL history. Yes, all the way back. Now, it was, what, 2 out of 15 for Chicago? It was. All right. Chicago's bad on offense, no doubt about it. But, man, oh, man, Tennessee. Now, they got a good D-back in a trade with the Chargers, but it's not about pressure. The D-back's not going to help them get more pressure. And what do we know about Phillip Rivers? When he's unmolested, when he's back there able to throw like a statue. He's good. He's good. Well, Tennessee might have the least amount of pressure generated than any team in the NFL. So I think the given here are the Colts are going to get their points. The question you got to ask yourself, will Tennessee get theirs? If Tennessee gets theirs, you got to like the over. The over is about 49. If you don't think Tennessee gets theirs, then you like the Colts. What do you like on the game, Fez? So I'm going to lean to Indy. Obviously, we've lost a lot of line value, but I do think Tennessee very overrated. And think about their last two games. But overrated at the current number? Yeah, that's the thing. But the fact that they got to play against back-to-back teams that had decimated O-lines, most recently Chicago the week before, the Bengals, Tennessee's caught breaks all year long in the scheduling. They're an overrated team. I agree. So you got a prop bet that you consider to be a best bet. Yes, I'm going to go with Indy's running back Jordan Wilkins, over 38 rush yards. I love this bet. Now, Wilkins is only averaging... Better love it because it's boring. He he only averages 28 (laughs) yards. So why am I going over 38? Because his role has been expanded. Jonathan Taylor was the lead back, and Jonathan Taylor is being devalued. Wilkins getting 64 yards the last two games, and I expect he, if anyone, will be the bell cow tonight. 
Boy, I told you he wasn't going to have a good show. That was horrible. <laughs> what? I don't even know what you're saying. You're saying there's one back. It's not going to get. So you could Wilkins made that is like, the backup you could have made back. Like ten seconds. Wilkins is the backup back, and now all he's right, going to be the right. feature back. It's time. It's crossfire time, Jonas. I'm just all trying right. to rattle him. And it's RJ, the, the. I'm sorry. Yes. Go ahead. And no, go RJ, ahead, yeah, the crossfire this week is in the NFC East. It's the Giants and the Eagles. And on pregame.com right now, you can find this line at the, and pardon me for the delay here, it is the Eagles minus three and a half, RJ. All right, we always, that's the thing. Jonas gives a little professionalism to this. I should have thrown it to him to start with. Sorry for throwing you off, Jonas. Fez, I hope I didn't throw you off. Who do you like? I like the Eagles. Now, the Eagles are coming off a bye, and I think that that bye is really going to help them because they're likely to get key guys back. Who are they getting back? Miles Sanders, running back, number one in the NFL in yards per rush. Jeffrey, what's he got? Like 15 rushes this year? He's got two yard. He's got two rushes for over 75 yards already. Um, Sounds fluky. Jeffrey, their wide receiver, likely to come back, and they may get back one or both of their linemen. Now that's they didn't participate in practice today. Lane Johnson that's it? That's They're it. Get some guys back. Key right. guys. This is a question, and this is a simple question. If you look at the Giants and think, how have they played relative to expectation this year? And then you look at Philadelphia and think, how have they played? Who's been war? I think both of them have probably fallen a little short, if not more. Who has fallen more short, Feds? And this is an objective question because you got power ratings. Who have you dropped more? Philly. By how many points? Three and a half points. And you dropped Giants by how much? One and a half. So the difference is two points. Yes. So you're saying that now Giants are two points closer to Philly than they were? Yes. Okay, the summer line in this game was three and a half. The current line in this game is three and a half. Explain to me how that adjustment makes any sense. It doesn't. You know why? Because we all got in our minds, Philly's Philly, man. Carson Wentz almost won the MVP that one year before he got hurt. Maybe. But what we know is performance-wise, Philly's been horrible. This is all on a dream. And even if we accept the dream, which is embedded in our head because we always are going to overrate Philly because they got so much potential, even then they are two points less than we thought they were more than the Giants. But I'm getting the same line I could have gotten this summer. You got 10 seconds to reply. You don't got any reply. I don't have anything because my power <laughs> ratings actually agree with you. It's, it, the fight's over, John. <laughs> if you missed any of today's show, including a prop best bet on Thursday night football between the Colts and the Titans, get on the podcast at foxsportsradio.com. We are back tomorrow for a full preview of every single game in the NFL right here on Straight Out of Vegas, 6 p.m. Eastern time, 3 o'clock Pacific on Fox Sports Radio, and as always, on the iHeartRadio app. Straight Out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.